You're listening to a Time Machine podcast. Old movie Time Machine. An adventure through time and or space. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Old Movie Time Machine. Jay-Z hosting here alongside my fabulous international panel of experts, including the incomparable Shrishman Ike. Hello. And including the equally incomparable Catherine Sherlock. Hello. Hi, Catherine. And including the equally, equally incomparable, my sister and yours, Carolyn Narrows. Hey, sis. Hi. Welcome back to the program, you guys. Uh, we are coming off of our uh, sugar high that we've had the past Hitchcocktober. We ran four Hitchcocks, and then we followed it up. We did a palate cleanser with the Munsters. Mm. So now we're going to take all the goodwill that we earned during Hitchcocktober, minus the Munsters, which probably washed out half the audience, maybe, even three quarters <laughs> of the audience. We're going to wash out the rest of the audience with today's picture. It's the 2019 film called The Vast of Night, and it kicks off this new miniseries that we're doing. It's a different take. It's a twist, you guys. What we normally do is we talk about older movies of a particular era, primarily 1945 to 1965. This month, we're going to be taking a look at movies that are about that era, but were made later. So we're going to take, we've, we've watched all these films. We've accrued all this knowledge about the ashtrays and the hats and uh, the lack of minority representation. We've taken all these things. Uh, we've synthesized them. And now we're going to take this new synthesized lens and we're going to view a modern take on olden times and see how successful they are in recreating those times that we are so familiar with via our time travel. Convoluted premise. The short version is old time movie machine. That's what we're going to call this little mini arc. So today we start with 2019's The Vast of Night. Mm, let's start with some one line reviews, though. Shushman, do you have a one line review for The Vast of Night? This was a very odd little movie. <laughs> <laughs> and as I said earlier, um, it seemed like it would be a festival movie. Okay. And again, very curious what that might mean to anybody, especially you. So maybe we'll swing back around on that. Sure. Carolyn Narrows, do you have a one-line review for The Vast of Night? Yes. My one-line review would be intimate, eerie, and ambiance. Oh, I like that collection of words. Very nice. I'm sorry, that's and a collection of words and not like a one-line review, but like that's like, you know, yeah. I think, uh, I mean, for, for my like, money, you've captured it. Atmospheric. Yeah, that's another great word. Right. Who needs the the middle words, the littler words? Who mm -hmm. just get all that shit out of there, right? We're trying to refine. Yeah. So, uh, like thermodynamics, you know, but but for for language. Perfect. Now, Catherine Sherlock, the hammer. Do you have a one-line review for the vast of night? Yeah, I have quite a wordy one though. Um oh, <clears throat> kind of the opposite of Carolyn's. Okay. <laughs> Let's take all the smaller words and put them back in. Catherine, go. But related in some way. Anyway, you will okay. see. <laughs> Okay, so I have small, small town snapshot eerily unfolds into otherworldly mystery orchestrated by unexpected visuals and superb soundtrack. Wow, mm. superb. We don't hear that word come from you very often, Catherine. No. Like that's a very potent no, word. No, I actually researched some of the music. I, you know, Catherine, it did. Yes. Stick out to me while watching it this time around that, like, I think she might like this one, knowing some of your tastes, as I, as I do, but mm -hmm. uh, especially some of the string pieces very nicely arranged in this movie. Yeah. And we've got, we've got some, uh, what is it, Neptune? Yeah, 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 yeah. There was de definitely definitely some Holst in there. And, um, and uh, I also had a thought because this seems to be coming up again and again in like spacey films, like trumpets now seem to equal space. Yeah. Classical influence and space seem to go together. Like it seems that the, the tapestry that is woven through classical music and it's very long compositions and sort of lengthy buildups and melodic cycles and things seems to pair very nicely with the epic awesomeness of just uh, the void of, of deep space. 
the, the vastness, if you will, <laughs> the vast of night, perhaps. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. Now, Shrishma, this, it seems like a festival movie. Can you translate that for us? That sentiment? Yeah, I mean, it was very, um, like a technically well-made movie. So from mm-hmm. like the the craft of the filmmaking, you could tell that, you know, okay. that's what they spent time on. You know, it wasn't, I don't think it's something that maybe did commercially well, potentially, but maybe would have done well, like in the, in the awards. Right. I got you. So it's, it's conceptual, but we're not talking like Fast and the Furious right. concept. It's words. not like a, a you know, it, yeah. it's, it's very, it's a very delicate movie, I would say. Mm, okay. Delicate. Like we- not, like not you know obnoxious like our marvels and our but it was no very, it's like, not in your very, face yeah i thought it was a very when i say odd and artsy those are not negative con- right. connotation sure. words those are just you know it's not something i've seen in a very long time because i'm so heavy on you know the the high concept right, you're right yeah exactly. but where this is more character driven yeah so a little bit of the details i did do some very light research for this one just because of this movie Let's put that up on front street. I think I did last week too. So sorry to bias your opinions or whatever, but also I don't care. <laughs> um, but this movie was made for $700,000, which is oh, extremely low. Yeah. This, so uh, Carolyn, you, you have, uh, are familiar with production budgets for uh, motion pictures, uh, both big, uh, big studio and for independent picture. I mean like 700 K is nothing. That's, that's nothing. That's like, like- here you go. Your craft service is like a mini bag of Lay's potato chips. Yeah. If, if that, if, if it's not like, Oh, whatever my mom made for us in the, the slow mm-hmm. cooker. Yeah. For week, sure. You know, like, it's, it's just like, it's mind boggling how little that is, especially the fact that this was made four or five years ago. Like doesn't make any sense at all. So I'm like, and, did the actors work for free? They must have, uh, possibly, I'm not really sure, but I mean, it would have to be that kind of situation. I know the biggest budgetary expense that they had was $20,000 of that 700K went to making the gymnasium, the basketball court look period appropriate. So Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, I felt like a lot of the money would have been spent on the actual value of the production, not on the actor's. Yeah, well, and they they tell you in in film school or any kind of advice about making a movie at a low cost, and this is a pretty general rule, even up to the studios, is like don't make it period. Yeah, it's one of, it's one of these rules where it's like um, party scenes, like big gala prom scenes, like don't write that scene because then we got to rent a bunch of fucking tuxedos mm. for everybody. Like every, we have to glam out a space and get limo, like recreate a, a gala. It's very expensive. So right. same thing goes for a period piece. Don't set it in the 19th century. We got to find all these 1800s era bustles and things like that. And like, and, and also disguise the modern world. It's very difficult in this day and age to find a slice of civilization that is not time stamped to something pretty recent, you know, like it's whether it's a plane flying in the background or, you know, um, cell phone towers and just uh, different cars on the road. Like it's very hard to be period. So the fact that they managed to do a feature length film for this amount of money, that's also set, uh, you know, 70 years ago is, uh, is kind of mind boggling. And the, the fact that it is for my money anyway, largely successful at all these things, because you know, me old, uh, time machine Eagle out, here like i'm checking out all the things right. making sure that they They're hold up yeah right and this movie holds up really well under that kind of scrutiny i found anyway uh, i think a big part of it is that this entire film is set at night that helps the darkness helps to uh keep the vagaries of time to the shadows if you will um, so we're not seeing um you know satellite dishes on right. the roofs of people's houses at the time it's just too dark well, I'm so, guessing that's also why some of that opening sequence, like they spent so much time in the gymnasium. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm sure that's a big part of it. So, oh, so to the the two hundred the twenty thousand that they spent in the gym, they they spent it sanding down the floor to get rid of the three point line, which didn't exist in 1958 when this because film was set. we would have noticed that. Um, well, uh, one of us would have, uh, <laughs> and they had to change the key. The key is more narrow to be period appropriate. Anyway, uh, that like that's the huge expense. We do spend a fair amount of time in that gym, so. And, and Carolyn, you're probably right. Most people would not notice the three-point line, but enough would to where it would it would distract. I think. Didn't you guys find this movie was also a little like anxiety provoking? In what? Like, what was the trigger for you? <sighs> what are the triggers? Plural. I guess for me, it was. I went. I know you gave a description of the movie last week, you know, to introduce it, but I didn't remember. Sure. So. Um, I went into it. I just started watching it. I jumped right into it. I didn't read. So for the first 15 minutes, I didn't know what was happening. And we were just following two people who were talking really fast the whole con- time. And then, then they wouldn't stop talking. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dude, what is going on? I was concerned for you and watching, then- <laughs> watching that part. Yeah, to be <laughs> fair, I, I couldn't decipher what was really being said because it was it was like, yeah, rap- rapid a teenage yeah. American. A and lot of over talking as well. Yeah. And period yeah. Uh, lingo slang yeah. from the time. Yeah. So. And then with her, the whole scene, I guess like the blue screen where they would like zoom out because that part was okay. So they're telling a story, then they would zoom in. And then her sitting alone in that um, the telephone yep. room, like a lot of it was a little creep. Like there was a creep factor. Not Definitely. a high creep factor, mm-hmm. yeah. but there was a little like, oh, shit, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then it's aliens and then it's um, abduction. And then, you know, then poof, they're gone. Like, you know, like, right, right. so it just felt like. Okay. Yes. I, I could totally see that because you're right. So we should talk about the framing device, I guess, of right. this movie, which is an interesting decision. I think it's not necessary. Like if they didn't do this part of it, it wouldn't make a difference to me. I would still enjoy the experience. But they set it up so that what movie you're watching is an episode of this thing called Paradox Theater, mm. which is a direct one-to-one to Twilight Zone. Okay. Now, have you ever seen a Twilight Zone episode? No, I have not. Okay. Now, Carolyn, you have because you grew oh, up with me. me. Catherine, are you a Twilight Zone head? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. I figured as much. So, do you know the idea behind the Twilight Zone? It's a it's an anthology television series where you have these sort of bizarre supernatural or extraterrestrial things happen. Like goosebumps. Mm, a bit, yes, but they serve as more of, as like a parable for a, a greater lesson, okay, basically. So about humanity. And so um, that's that's kind of why a show like that has survived to be known about these days is because there's something a little bit deeper than just the alien okay. coming to town, you know? Gotcha. Anyway, hard recommend. Watch all the Twilight Zones. They're amazing. Yeah. So the, the the film starts in a mid-century living room where we have one of these beautiful old school mid-century televisions broadcasting this. And then we go into the TV screen. And then periodically throughout the film, we come back out and see things through the TV screen. And then we go back into the film and uh, almost like commercial breaks or something like that. It's interesting. Not really necessary, but I like the idea, and I kind of like the the larger idea that there's an anthology of films that are like this. Mm. Like, I wish this guy would make another one similar to this, you know, like and do the television thing if you want, and that would totally work. So that's that's the framework, the very loose framework. It doesn't serve much purpose beyond putting you in that mindset of like, oh, it's kind of like the Twilight Zone, basically. So let me do the first part of the synopsis, and then we'll we'll start chewing on this thing, okay? The time is 1958. The space is Cayuga, New Mexico. Everett Sloan is a local radio DJ helping some kids set up for recording a basketball broadcast. There he meets up with Faye Crocker, a friend with a tape recorder she has just bought from a catalog. Everett and Faye walk together and practice her interviewing skills. Throughout, we get a sense of this tight community of less than 500 people. Everett leaves to start his DJ shift, and Faye goes to operate the telephone switchboard. Everything is normal until Faye gets a call that is nothing but a bizarre skipping signal. So the first half hour, as we talked, is largely Faye and Everett talking to each other and then to other townspeople. So they are, yeah, I I can imagine if you didn't know anything about it, and I didn't know very much about it seeing this for the first time. 
Oh, the other background context for this movie, why we may not have heard of it and why I kind of want to put some shine on it with this episode, because I do think it's worthy of being watched if you like this kind of thing, is this came out like right at the start of COVID. Mm-hmm. So there was no, I think it had a very limited theatrical release. Uh, it did do the, it was totally financed by the director who also wrote it and cut it together and everything. Uh, and it was later bought by Amazon to be right. distributed through their platform. So very limited in theaters and then on Amazon, but also just in the middle of all of that, the spring, that first spring of COVID. Uh, so it kind of slipped by the radar, I guess, a little bit for those reasons. But yeah, so knowing very little about what the thing is other than it's kind of, kind of spacey and kind of, you know, you might like it if you like spacey things. It is a bit confusing to sort of be suddenly taken into this world with these characters you don't know anything about and them just talking to each other. It's a hangout movie. This is. is This is very much like I was reminded of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Tarantino movie, where it's mm-hmm. just Brad Pitt and Leo driving around together, hanging out in the late 60s. This is that same vibe, but it's the late 50s and it's not beautiful mid-century LA. It's uh, middle of nowhere, New Mexico. And yeah, we're just getting the lay of the land. We're meeting some of the locals. We're getting a, a sense of what the evening might hold. We know that this basketball game is a big deal and that everybody's going to be there, everybody in town. Uh, we see the population is like 497 or something like that on the sign. Cayuga is not a real place, I should add. It is named after the production company that made the Twilight Zone back in the day. And yeah, we follow these guys around. So what are we noticing here that might ring true right off the bat. Everett is smoking up a storm. He is chaining it like nobody's business. And while this pleases me on one hand, I feel like he was actually smoking for the rest of the cast. Like Mm. he was smoking nonstop for the first 40 minutes. It's, it's a pretty constant stream of cigarettes, which does play into his character a little bit because he is, he's a cool guy, but also he's a bit of a nerd, you know, like he had to go through the radio licensing platform to get to be a DJ and everything. So, and he's got horn, horn rimmed glasses. So, you know, he's kind of a point Dexter, I guess, but he's also groovy and he's sort of the town DJ. Yeah. Yeah. He knows, you know, it's the latest and greatest. And he, he does all that. His, the way he speaks in real life echoes the DJ patter basically of like, what's the, what's the latest and greatest, uh, you know, you hip cats or whatever. Like that's how he talks to normal people. So he's sort of got this persona and that includes the smoking mm-hmm. been there. I get it. You always look 10% cooler with a cigarette in your hand. So why not just keep the cigarette there all the time? You're always 10% cooler. It's pretty simple cigarette coolness math, right? <laughs> but that being said, while that is period appropriate, because as we have seen in the 50s, people love cigarettes, right? Yes. But I will say that the other people around him are not smoking. And that's the only tell that I have that this is not 100%. We are in 1958. But I think the fact that he's smoking a lot kind of balances it out. But I don't know. What do you guys think? Catherine, Carolyn, do you guys have any thoughts on this? What's the girl's name again? Um, uh, she definitely lit up. Faye, Faye. yes. Faye. Yeah. And she's a little bit shy about it, which I thought was interesting because she was sort of like, I don't want people to see me smoking. She wants the cigarette, but she doesn't want to be seen with it, which that seems a bit new to me. But also maybe because she's a bit young and a girl. And that's true. Yeah. So Faye, we learn, is 16. Everett is a little bit older, presumably early 20s, I would guess. They don't have a romance, but they have some kind of chemistry together. They hang out together. They're chatting all this time. What did you guys read into their relationship? Since it is largely, this movie is built on the two of them doing things together. I kind of did wonder if it would go that way. I'm kind of glad it didn't make it about that. It was just, I don't know. I guess they're they're just friends who are interested in the same things, you know? I thought there was... Good chemistry on screen. I thought that there was good, like flirtatious. I don't want to say sexual tension because I felt like it was from that of a 16 year old high school girl, but clearly there was some kind of crush, but none of that is at all important in the face of an alien abduction. (laughs) Yeah. It simply gets these two people working together. 
Right. Uh, they have good chemistry. They, they're friendly. They like each other. Yeah. And it's just a, a little bit of extra subtext that sort of flat out them as people for the audience and their relationship, perhaps, or like maybe we want them to get together or we're curious if they will or they won't. Well, I think Kevin, it ratchet, I agree with- ratchets up the, the tension in general. Sure. And I think, you know, there's probably something about the fact that she got this tape recorder and she wants, you know, is this an excuse for her to talk to him? Um, you know, because we we do kind of learn later that there's, it's kind of implied that she does have some kind of crush on him or that there's something because when somebody else finds out about it, they're like, oh, the radio boy. Okay. Hello. And she shuts that down pretty quickly, but still there's something to be said about the radio boy, maybe. For mm-hmm. Faye, but yeah. So I don't know, Carolyn, what are you noticing as far as like our, our time traveling expertise goggles go? Like, what are you seeing in this first third of the movie? Uh, what are you liking? What are you not liking? What seems real? What's, what's not, what's going on with you? Um, I thought it was very realistic for like a small town, New Mexico vibe. I don't know if you've ever been to New Mexico, but that is a desolate place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, thinking of that era, everyone being at um, the basketball game would make total sense. The clothing was really, and like the hair seemed very spot on. So like the actual wardrobe was done very well. And then obviously being filmed primarily at night, definitely gives a really specific kind of ambiance. Um, I was impressed though with, even though it was like uh, a dark film, not necessarily emotionally, but a a dark film in terms of the visual, Mm -hmm. I still felt like I had, it's kind of like you kind of like felt like you were constantly peeking around a corner into these people's lives. Ah, very nicely put. It is a world that does go around corners. Um, This is a, a term that I think I've heard applied to like George Lucas and the original star Wars, but like the idea that whatever place you've been immersed uh, within uh, in a film, if if you want to know what's around the corner, if it feels like there is something around the corner, it's not just a set or, you know, something uh, fantastical that, you know, could be anything, but like there, there are, it's a, it's a universe where there are some kind of rules applied or some kind of aesthetic that is shared throughout uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like passes for 1958. Now, sure. to your earlier point that this is kind of artsy and maybe festival ready. Mm-hmm. Um, we do follow on, a, on very long tracking shots. So these are all done on on a one shot, basically like very lengthy shots. In fact, very so lengthy. there are Three that I'm thinking of, I think, well, actually four. The first one being we follow Everett through this basketball court, the through the gym. Which was very like Scorsese, Goodfellas, a lot of coordination in that kind of shot. Oh, yeah, yeah. So for whatever time that you may be saving by not doing different setups for coverage or whatever, the, all that time automatically goes to, yeah, choreography of like, what time do you need to hit your mark? And like, what signal are you waiting for? And because all of this stuff has to happen. Otherwise, you go back to step one, which is so tragic. But they do such a fine job in this movie. So we're following this guy as he goes through through the gym. He's he's fixing tape recorders. He's uh, checking wiring down in the basement with, uh, with the, the janitor or whatever, like, we're following him all over the place. We're following him as he meets up with Faye and we follow them as they walk uh, across town and discuss her tape recorder and everything. So, and these are all sort of uh steady cam type of shots where we're just moving with them. And we are again, hangout style. We're just listening. We're a part of this conversation. We're a passive part of this conversation that they're having and their relationship. I did appreciate, though, how they got across the the smallness of the town in the Sorkin way of like, let's repeat the same story about the squirrel eating through the wire. Yeah, yes. I was about to say the same thing. Was it? Was anybody else like exasperated by that? Which is clearly how <laughs> the kind of squirrel be like. God, these right. I mean, because it's like well, you have small town. The goddamn squirrel. 
That squirrel's <laughs> big news, Catherine. Yep. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everybody's talking about that squirrel. Such a troublemaker. I, I did. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. I did enjoy the fact that we do get a real sense of how small the town is. Everybody seems to know everybody else by name. And also everybody seems to have some kind of investment in the other people. Like it is in a true communal sense, everybody that they talk to with the tape recorder as they make their way to their jobs, you know, like they're stopping people in their cars and chatting with them. Like they're all super friendly Super welcoming. They they all recognize each other, and uh, the adults are always complimenting Faye on what a great job she does running the switchboard. And it's just very it's good good vibes all around. I don't want to um, depart from this opening gym sequence too soon, but I, that's the switchboard itself. I was like, well, that's a timepiece. Well, and, and mm-hmm. let's yeah, let's get right to that because it is something that I think. Maybe we have thought about because, of course, we've watched Pillow Talk. I mean, we, which mm-hmm. makes us uh, telephony experts. Uh, we know all about the trunk lines and the, yeah, and the party lines. Yo, you know it. It's always a party. Hey, speaking of party lines, by the way, if you want to uh, reach out to us and say hi or give us your take on whatever movie, party line at oldmovietimemachine.com. That's our email. We have a very good track record of responding. We'll get back to you. We got time. But yes, the switchboard is so interesting and so. Again, probably period. The thing that stood out to me about the switchboard room is the fact that she's coming and going throughout the movie, does not close that door behind her. She does not. Doesn't lock on, uh-uh. you know, like it's just sort of, it's a free for all because why would you? Why would you need to? We know everybody around. 1958. Yeah, different Small times. Mexico. Different times. Now, speaking of the the very long oneers, this initial shot with her working the switchboard, that's a 10-minute shot. That does not cut away at all, which means now we don't have a lot of choreography happening because it is just her sitting at the switchboard, but she has to give that performance all in one. And I thought she did a great job. I don't know these actors. Yeah. Are we supposed to? Nope. Okay. They're just, I think, either local performers or just very, uh, very new. Um, I did look up the director is making a new film that should be coming out. Uh, with uh, Matthew McConaughey, Ooh. but the guy who plays Everett is going to be in it as well. So he's okay. taking the people with him. So you like to see that. Yeah. As far as the, the switchboard, it is uh, super interesting to watch her operate the switchboard, to see how calls come in, to see how she transfers the calls and relays the sound of the signal over to the radio station. And meanwhile, she's talking to other people in town on these phone lines. And again, it's just real cozy and, uh, friendly, familial, uh, and familiar. There are no edits. And the fact that we're just sitting with her while she does her job and then starts to uh, inquire about this signal that she got this weird call from, um, that does ramp up the eeriness for sure, because it's it's unsettling when we don't have a cutaway to something else. And we're just sitting with a character. And all we know is what they know, and we're learning what they're learning at the exact same time. And I think it's Powerful. It's subtle, but it's powerful, and it does, yeah, ramp up the dread or the, that feeling of anticipation, something like that. I think it's a, this film is a great example of having a limited budget can actually create more creativity versus exactly. having all the budget, oh. and then you're like, oh yeah, because Avatar was totally worth it. We'll just CG spaceship that scene. It's not a big deal. <laughs> Eight CG spaceships. They can do anything these days. You didn't right. like the way I tell you right it? now, I would watch this movie again in a heartbeat before ever turning on Avatar. Uh, same, actually. I would actually agree. Yeah. I would also, that's a tough one, I would say. Uh, The fact that you're even considering it, though, Shrishma, that says volume. I feel like I've been completely spoiled by these big superhero, you know. But that's your jam, Shrishma. So I don't want to take that from you. You love No, but I see what you're saying. Um, Because it was such a simple movie, you know. Like, no, this one was such a simple movie, but yeah. it was effective in what it was trying to do. Did you watch the whole thing? I did watch the whole I thing. I can't believe it, but that's amazing. I mean. Uh, and I stayed up for the whole thing. That says a lot. Listener, you'll know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the track record is. I especially mean, I with- fully admit, I am like the target audience for small, dark adult dramas that... 
that win awards. Um, mm-hmm. I'm that I am that audience member, but the majority of the audience out there is yep. yeah, give me give me Loki, give me yeah, Thor. Give me five blue aliens. Let's go. Give me exactly blue aliens at 100 percent Yeah, but for whatever reason, this one doesn't give you those things, and you still hung in there. That's true. I'm proud of you. That's true. And I'm proud of this movie too, because it was a thought that I had watching this, you know, when I watched these again through the eyes of you three, the international panel of experts, of course, like I'm thinking about it, like, okay, this is a lot of talking between two people. It's very natural dialogue. It sounds, it sounds very natural. It's not stagey. It's not like a play or anything like that. It's not like it would be presented if this was a movie that was actually made contemporary to the time. It would be totally different, right? But this is, we do get a sense that these are real dimensional people having a real semi-dimensional conversation. And that's a big difference. But yes, to your point, Carolyn, the low budget means that it's going to be a movie of a lot of people talking to each other. It is interesting to see how they work that fact in different ways to make it exciting. Whether we think about, I was like on the edge of my seat for the interview with the old recluse woman. Yes, mm. yes. Like that was like, I mean, we are just sitting in the dark, in the glow of the television, in grandma's living room. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, where is this going? Right, right. <laughs> and it is, we're going to get to her very shortly, but yeah, that is a, a creepy scene. But another a great example of a way that you can have people just talking about a thing without actually showing a thing. So the traditional rule is when you're writing your script, is that you show, don't tell, right? Okay. So okay. because film is a visual medium, all the things that you could uh, convey to your audience through just seeing or, or hearing something you should use rather than uh, having characters tell you about a thing happening. So that's why... In screenwriting 101, when you do eventually take that class, voiceover is out the window, you guys. Like, it's just too many shortcuts and it's just Don't too Don't you talking. dare do right. voiceover. Then you didn't do your job as a scriptwriter. What are you doing? Right. Now, 95% of the time, that is totally true. But then you see a Goodfellas or you see a train spotting or you see a movie where there is heavy voiceover employed. Um, they, people need to leave that to the real professionals. Film students do not need to be monkeying around with voiceover. I agree. It is a case of you have to learn how to use all the rules before you can start to break them. So. George of the Jungle. Had a good voice. <laughs> just that, just, that, just that, saying that, the words George of the Jungle <laughs> is really funny. Okay. What about George of the Jungle? <laughs> Are we talking Brendan Fraser, George yeah. of the Jungle? All right. There yeah. you go. He's got a voiceover? No. I guess so. Sorry. Define voiceover. Where it is. There's a narrator. The, it is the narrator. Yeah, either either uh, a distant, removed narrator telling the story of the movie, or a character within the movie That's narrating. The, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's George of the Jungle employs a really good and comic narrator voice. Okay. Have you never watched George of the Jungle? I don't think I've ever <gasps> seen George of the Jungle. I've I seen have. Encino Man several hundred times. Together. I feel like they're the same movie, maybe. When is like the panel pick? <laughs> okay okay we'll we'll talk about it so when we hear the signal i find the signal to be really creepy personally it's uh i don't know how you i was trying to describe it in the the summary but like it's just like a weird it's almost like a liquidy bubbling sound but also does have that i'm a scratch cd from the floor of your car and i'm skipping sound and there's also the classic subsonic rumble mixed in there as well. It sounds very alien. It sounds very bizarre. Very haunting. Yes. Yeah. Perfectly stated. She deals with it well. She's just sort of like, huh, uh, here's a noise. Anybody recognize this noise? It's interesting that she does not automatically default to, is this an alien? Because I think mm-hmm. nowadays, whenever things are weird, you, you kind of do, you know, like I saw lights in the sky a few weeks ago. It was, I live by an airport, so it's not, that's not so just uh, surprising, but they were not the normal lights. Not, I automatically thought like, am I looking at a fucking alien here? It was a helicopter. Don't worry about it. But, <laughs> but for a moment, my mind went there. 
But I, th- and- I think that's a product of, of the generation that we live in versus exactly. in the, in the twilight of the 1950s where it'd be like, huh, what is that? Like the Russians? Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, aliens as a concept was very early in its, was very early stages in the 1950s, I would imagine. The, like the modern way that we think of right. an alien craft. Yeah. So right. what not, we see- not like the way that like the, you know, ancient folks of Peru were just drawing the Nazca lines. Right, or doing the uh, the cave paintings with the cigar shaped object in the sky, or mm-hmm. whatever. Or you know the crystal skull. Temple. The crystal skull, of course. Yeah, the, the temple know, from where back in the day from the yeah 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 where you go yeah. from different dimensions exactly. and everything. It's a whole yeah. bunch of them in there. Yeah, yeah. And they have all the answers and yeah. Um, that totally factual, but hundred percent factual. Indiana Jones. Yeah, right. Why? Who, why would he lie? Uh, it's history. It's a documentary mostly. <laughs> So what we see, though, is in the public consciousness is like there's the the Roswell, New Mexico crash, right? The late 1940s. And this- okay. So, okay. I was going to ask you the, like, Area 51 and that whole thing. Like, right. When was that? Was that the 1950s? We start hearing about okay. this in the late 40s and throughout the 50s. Now, Area 51, you can't get too deep into this, but mm. it's a... It is a top secret base where the That's military so was testing secret. a bunch of things, right? Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, you know that it's there because you you can't go there. So it's like nothing can be truly unfindoutable, right? Especially if there's a big fence around it and armed guards and everything. And uh, to this day, you can't really get too close to there without mm-hmm. them tracking you and coming up and asking you to leave, please, right. because we're doing top secret the things. Men in black, men in black base. Uh, yeah. Do they go there in Men in Black? I know they do an Independence Day for sure, but it's all the same. It's the same it's the thing. Same it's conception, right? Right. And so, <laughs> this idea gets introduced into the public consciousness of like a flying saucer crashing in the desert, and people kind of uh, absorb it, you know. And and so they start applying this to their matrix of perception, and they start seeing things, you know. Like it's not just something in the sky. It's a saucer in the sky or, you know, it's it's a thing. We start getting more of these reports coming in. So this being 1958, though, that's not the standard or it's not for a 16-year-old girl who's working a telephone switchboard. So she just hears a noise. It's not an automatic like, oh, have I entered my own Independence Day-like movie? Which is what we all want, right? Like, I'm waiting for it. Absolutely. Come abduct me. Yes. Hey guys, breaking in here as we do to tell you about the latest and greatest products over at our Tee Public store. I did want to highlight this one. We haven't talked about it much, but it is fresh off the heels of our Psycho episode. It's the, as we learned during that episode, uh, Norman Bates, Shrishman Ike, would. I would. Uh, <laughs> he is officially smash worthy. And if you agree with her, <laughs> please buy our latest Norman Smashworthy graphic design over there on the T Public store. You can find it. It's uh it's a picture of old Norman and he's saying, Hey boo, because he wants to smash with you. But then he also wants to smash you up and he wants to replace your, your innards with sawdust and he wants to keep you in his back parlor. So it's more uh, but smoky this, than smashy. Well that's true. Yes, he wants to, he wants to carve you up. He wants he wants to keep you in his fruit cellar. He wants to listen. He Not wants to. Fruit cellar. Love I want you. to go back there. Yes, you. I just, w- I just wonder now, having put this out into the internets, uh, whether I just like red flagged myself. Yeah, you're gonna start getting lots of new uh, <laughs> requests and follows on <laughs> exactly. all the social channels yeah. and um, from the dark web. <laughs> good for you. You opened that door. I did. Congratulations. Um, I get because I you like- can't keep it in your pants around Norman no, Bates. <laughs> Hey, uh, I kept it in my pants, but I will get a sweatshirt. Okay, great. That, nice. And sweatshirts are available, Shrishma, as are t-shirts and tanks and uh, all kinds of mugs, as we've talked about, tapestries, pillowcases, tote bags, notebooks, thermal, uh, uh, other thermal mug type things that aren't, aren't mugs. What are those called? We talked about them last week. <laughs> yeah, They're like, like thermos. The thermal glass. 
Yeah, they maintain the temperature, <laughs> cold or hot. It's available for you. What an ad read. If you're not sold by now, I don't know what's going to sell you guys. So head on over to the Tee Public. Buy yourself at least one of each of those items just listed there, if not two or three of each. I mean, you can never be too sure. Again, these things are flying off the shelves. Right. Who knows how long they're going to last, but you want to get them and you want to get them now. So go over there. The link is in the show notes. And if you do get all those things, we're going to thank you. We're going to do a test round right now just so you know what that sounds like. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Thank, thank, you. You. thank you. Thanks. And now back to the show. Yeah, anyway, uh, the noise. Let's go back to the, the summary. Let's get to the next step here. Faye transfers the noise to Everett, who plays it over the air on the radio and asks anyone with info to come forward. They get a call from a man named Billy, who talks about hearing this noise while doing work in the military, constructing a bunker for a large unidentified object. He claims recordings of the signal were made and sent to others, including a Cayugan local who has since passed away. Faye steals the tapes that this guy had from the library, and they broadcast the signal over the air before a power outage makes things extra crazy. So let's talk about the Billy call because we want to, of course, t- you know, get our checklist in order. So we've talked about ashtrays effectively. Uh, Everett is our gateway smoker for the rest of the, the universe that we're looking at here. At Index, uh, not a lot of hats. I mean, it is. Uh, New Mexico, pretty fucking hot down there. So maybe not just a hat-centric life. So also not the big city. We're pretty accustomed to seeing New York in this era. But this is, again, small town New Mexico. Not a whole lot going on down there. But let's talk about the representation watch. And we have Billy, uh, an African-American caller, call in and tell his experience in the military about hearing this weird noise and dealing with all this weird stuff. And he actually does note they don't. They don't hammer the point home, but he does. He, he gets cut off at one point and calls back when they're off the air. And he does say like, you know, I'm kind of weird about, I'm sorry, I'm weird about this, but you know, I just figured like nobody would believe me. And, you know, also I'm black and mm. he just kind of comes out and he says it. And I, I just feel like people wouldn't think I'm credible. And Everett deals with this in a very, uh, not modern way, but like he's just sort of like, oh, I, I kind of thought that you might be. And he doesn't say much beyond that about it, but he I, takes I him seriously. I really like, ask him directly if that's a problem. And he says, not to me. Right. Yes. Yes, that's true. Um, and and it doesn't seem to be forever. So we're getting just the slightest glimpse at that part of the world, though, that we've seen in the corners of these other older movies anyway, that yes, there's not a lot of representation in the media, but certainly there are black people in the world. There are uh, Hispanic people in the world. You know, there are all these different communities that make up the United States that are not represented uh, in films of the age. So it's nice to get a little piece of that, but also to not like, I don't know, be too heavy handed about it. It's, I think it's handled with the right amount of uh, right amount of tact and to, to not be distracting or too like virtue signaling or anything like that. It's just like a different perspective that we no- normally wouldn't get from somebody. Did they, uh, and I don't know if I read this because I was reading the, you know, the background of the movie, mm. uh, but did they call it out in the movie that why they used black and Mexican people to do these specific jobs? Yeah. Billy basically said, because like no one would believe them. No one would listen to them. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And so that also kind of shows, you know, the attitude. Yeah. Or the, um, yeah, exactly. The state of the time. Right. Like we can, let's use these guys. Nobody's going to listen to them anyway. It's 19. And it's disposable. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. Also, right. Um, remember that historically speaking, like, oh, I don't know. We were doing things research wise, like the Tuskegee study. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, just yes. Infecting people, black people with syphilis. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's mm-hmm. that's great research right there. Yeah. yeah. This, but that this would have been crime in in that particular time. 
Definitely. Now, I think by 58, the army is integrated, but certainly in the Second World War, it was not integrated. Um, like you could not be a black man, capital B, you know, and fight next to a white man and face the same bullets or whatever. Like you just, sorry, we're just, we got to draw a line somewhere, you guys. So, and that's where we're drawing it. So it is historically ridiculous. But uh, I, th I think at this point, probably that's still the status quo, like mindset among the military brass. So yeah, let's take these guys and uh, nobody's going to care. You know, so this is another example of people talking to each other, but again, being done in a novel way. So I think this conversation is heard through the perspective of the radio, if I'm not mistaken, like we're hearing Everett interview him on the air. We also get that little bit of like pre-live talk, which I, you know, like the radio nerd in me really enjoys that, you know, like, look, you can't use curse words. You know, you have to promise me that this or I'll lose my license, like all the nitty gritty details about how a radio station works. Uh, I like to see that stuff. Yeah. So they, they play the signal and that's what they get back. Now there's a power outage. This shuts down the radio station and it shuts down all the electricity and everything and the lights eventually come back on. But Faye has to return to the switchboard to field all these calls that she's getting about people seeing things in the sky. Something is in the sky, you guys. And that, again, makes me feel a little like eerie, right? A little uncomfortable, like the way that they present it of we're not seeing anything in the sky. We're not even seeing people see things in the right. sky. We're just hearing about, about it. it, right, yeah. which is enough. What's Pe in the sky? People are seeing things yeah. in the sky. Like, what yeah. the fuck does that mean? Very well done. That sort of sets up the extraterrestrial part of it a little bit. So Faye races back to the switchboard and receives reports about something in the sky. She and Everett run into another couple who are tracking the UFO, but are called away to interview a mysterious woman who claims the aliens abducted her son using a hypnotic phrase. So this is a conversation with a different character. It's really uh, not so much a movie as it is like a collection of actor soliloquies, you know, like or actor monologues. This would be great for a, a class if you had to do like a five or 10 minute scene. There's some good stuff here for you to really chew on. So we go to this woman. Now, it's not so much an issue with the film, but like I do have a question about this character. I can't remember her, what her name, her last name is Blanche. Her first name is like Maud or something like that. But it's a, like an old, it's an old school name, right? It is strange to me that in a town of 500 people that nobody knows who this woman is. She lives right down the road from the radio station, but they've never heard of her before and they've never heard of the vanished son or anything like that. But I've, I don't know if that's on purpose or not. I mean, it's just. Uh, I, I felt like they knew that she was a, like a shut in. I mean, they said that. So yeah. I feel like they knew who she was. But my guess is that the conversations about her son would be among an older generation. Yeah, that's true. And the shut in part, like she tells them, like, I can't, I don't move very much. So you're going to have to just come in, I guess. So she tells, I don't, I don't think that's a known fact until she tells them, I, I believe. Um, anyway, she's, she's older. She's of an older generation. So maybe she's just been kind of like shuffled off the scene, basically, as we do with older generations, right? Oh, my goodness. This, I thought that this part was so, I'm truly, I was like, a, like I said, at the edge of my seat. And then like in reflection, when they kind of like take everything back and they're playing it in the car and it's like, oh my God, she was testing to see if they were like. Uh, see, I, I didn't aliens. even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. So they played it for the folks driving the car and they went into a trance. It was like, oh boy. Right. Oh, and that couple in the car. I mean, that's another question that I had. Uh, again, they have to like introduce each other to each other. So like they're not a known quantity. Mm -mm. Are they part of the visitors? Are they, what's the deal? Because when we get to that point, they definitely want to keep everybody in the car. But what we're talking about though, with the older woman uh, is she's reciting this phrase mm -hmm. and she tells us the story, which effort records and Faye is there, but she's just like totally out of focus in the background. She's part of the wallpaper at this point because she knows how important this is to Everett and the, the work that he's doing. And Everett's just trying to get some answers. And she has called up to say, oh, I know what's going on for sure. And you're going to have to come hear about it. So she describes this scenario with her son who she would catch him reciting this phrase, and but he would be in a trance of sorts when he would say these things. And then she tests this in various ways. And like, he doesn't 
have any memory of it or anything like that. But uh, eventually something crazy goes down and he is vanished. And she believes that these people in the sky have taken her son. And so she That's, wrote down. Right. She wrote down the words, but like the part where she was like, I think these people in the sky are interfering with us in small ways down to like inability to focus or caring about what the alcoholism or, or, like yeah. alcoholism mm-hmm. or um, being fat or whatever. And then she said, but on a larger level, I think that they start wars and I'm like, okay, but yeah. <laughs> right. So, so what do we make of her and her story? Like what, what do we think? Is it real? Is she crazy? Like what, I mean, that, that, uh, her definition of what she thinks the people are coming for is her interpretation of the, the weirdness she's experienced, or maybe even, uh, you know, of course, influenced by her own worldview, perhaps, or, you know, it's inevitable. Um, but she doesn't seem to have any hard data to support any of this. It's just like what she thinks. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Catherine, what do you think about this lady and her story? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that her conclusions are in fact correct. I mean, it's food for thought, I guess, but certainly what happened to her son, I think in hindsight, you look back, I mean, you could question it at this point and be like, yeah, cuckoo. Um, mm-hmm. But then clearly at the end of the film, it happens again. So. You I felt fast for her her. when she asked to go. Yeah. She missed her son. Like, take me to the ship. Like, yeah. I like. I honestly like. I really was like, ooh, ah, that that. I felt really bad for her. Yeah, the the sense of loss or like the sacrifice that you have to make to have the cosmic experience, or if you want to have the cosmic experience, and Everett just doesn't. He's not going to let you, or he's not going to take you with him, or whatever. Like, yeah, that's devastating. There's something about that mixed up with the fact that she just wants to see her son and she's older now. Right. So she's been living with this for, and she says that she's had these experiences since she was much younger. So, you know, we're talking that is late 19th century. Then when we're talking about that. So uh, a very I, I chilling. They believe her at this point. So I don't they, think they can I think yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, I, well, I'm not sure where Faye stands on this. I don't know if Faye understands where she stands on this, but certainly Everett does reject the story. His rejection of the story is when he rejects the words that she offers him, like take these words and read them to people mm-hmm. that you meet tonight. And he just walks away. He gives her a look, and he walks away without taking the words. And she's just got to sit there and deal with it, I guess. So that is about as cruel as this movie gets, I would say. I don't know that he was wrong to do that. I mean, put yourself in his shoes. Again, in a pre-we-think-about-aliens-all-the-time world or UAPs or whatever we're calling them now, uh, yeah, it sounds out there. And especially if you're you know, young and skeptical and out for the facts or the great story that you can put on your radio show or whatever, you know, his point of view, like it's uh, yeah, it's not going to register really. That being said, let's get to the big finale. Everett is skeptical and they leave her behind. He and Faye stop together. Faye's little sister, Maddie, who's being babysat and they are picked up by the other couple who react to the recording of the phrase leading Faye, Maddie and Everett to run away right into the waiting arms of a mothership. Leaving behind mm-hmm. only friends in a charred reel-to-reel tape recorder. And that's where we end the movie. But this big uh, final scene, the whole town's talking about it now. There's something in the sky. That other couple that we met before still driving around looking for information. They hop in with them. They play back the recording of this weird alien phrase. And yeah, the couple reacts. And it's creepy. It is fucking creepy. And what else are you going to do if you're Faye with your little sister? Got to get out of there. We can't stay in this weird car with these strangers uh, behaving strangely. And they run off into the woods. And yeah, that's where they have. a great place to run in the middle of the night. Well, I mean, and even the couple is like, I don't think that's a good idea. Uh I don't think you should do that. How do we feel about, uh, do we settle on the couple? Are are they aliens? Not aliens? What's No, I thought they said they had been following whatever it was in the sky from like the highway so that okay. they weren't from the town That's exactly they what they would say but, right so so you think they were like everett and Faye were their victims in a way like they kind of 
Yeah, were they being corralled by this couple into having their abduction experience? Or maybe it was the couple that was supposed to be abducted and could it be. ended I up mean, being Faye and Everett because they were there? Plus one. Ultimately, the very fact that we have these questions and we don't know what their deal is ever keeps us uneasy, ramps up the dread some more. So either way, it's still yeah. working for us, I guess. Yeah. Then also, like these, one of the other reasons why I call this an artsy movie is the way it just ends. Yeah. Um, almost reminiscent to the movies from the time period we keep seeing. Absolutely. It's finished. It's finished. That's it. Done. <laughs> the end. Bye. Yeah. No, and no explanation required. <laughs> right. No, uh, you know, three months later, and everybody's like looking fit and happy and put together. Like, nope, none of that. No, nope, it's a bunch I'm of big pile of dust. Yep, sorry. No, and it's creepy to think about like, okay, just like the old woman described, it was dry, it was dusty, their footprints just disappear, but left behind is the real to real. Yeah. Right. And maybe, you know, if someone plays that, they can hear. Oh, interesting. That's what I was oh, thinking wow. too. Okay, like, oh, okay. someone's going to find that at some point. Yeah. Sequel worthy? Do we need a oh, sequel? Oh, yeah. And it, because oh, yeah. it's an artsy festival movie, there's no sequel. <laughs> but, yeah. It's so artsy they haven't serialized it. <laughs> we don't. We all wow, want one, but we want it to be exact, kind of the same. We don't want it to be like, yeah. you know, let's just yeah. like, twist this up somehow. Yeah, if they could keep the smallness, the the intimacy mm. of this movie somehow, mm. just give me more of it. Again, it's a hangout movie. It's a vibe movie. More than anything else, not a whole lot happening here. It's just pure vibes, and I'm here for it. This is, man, this is, I'm all about this. I love this movie when I saw it back in the day. So when did you watch this movie? Right after it came out, I just happened to, to catch an article that referenced it that Gave it, you know, positive reviews and just kind of laid out the 50s UFO part. I'm like, yeah, right. This ticks mm. all my boxes. <laughs> and the fact that they did it as well as I think they did anyway, it's just like shocked. And so I, for me, my goal is to, I want to tell people who might like this type of movie about this movie because I don't think people know about it. So right. that's what, we're doing the good work yes. this week, everybody. Yeah. Vast mm -hmm. of night. For all three That's why I had to double thing. check. I was like, was I supposed to watch a 2019 film for this? Uh right. <laughs> right. So, I mean, that's that's basically the conclusion of the movie, you guys. So, I don't know. Any any final thoughts before we get into the, the business of it all? We leave anything out? No, let's pick our items. Man. I, um, okay. I found there was one comic part of the movie where, like, um, she would just start like she had to go somewhere, so she'd just start running. Yeah, and he'd like follow her around in the car. Like, yes, oh, yeah, yeah, come yeah. get in. <laughs> like she did this several times. I think I thought she was stole a bike at one point. And yeah, yeah, I stole a bike. Yeah. <laughs> did you steal a car? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I guess we should talk about the UFOs too. I mean, like they really they do just the right amount. Again, yeah. it's. Any more, any less, and you would feel unsatisfied, but they, they give you the mothership and the, the little baby ship and everything, and they, they give you enough to where you have some kind of experience as an audience member, and you, you're given enough to know that it is real. It's actually happening. I think that's the key is that, you know, they again, not a lot of money spent here to spend uh, on, the, on the big effects, but the effects that they have, they use them sparingly. and they spent use it at the beginning faithfully. and at the end on the basketball and the mother and the mothership, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. and and money well spent. You nailed it. Perfect balance, I think. Let's do the business. Well, the th the part of the show that we do towards the end, we're asking ourselves: Do we keep watching this movie that we just watched? So, Shushman Ike, newfound artsy film fan, perhaps. Twenty nineteen, the vast of night, recreating nineteen fifty eight. For all of us to enjoy and to just vibe out in, do we keep watching this thing? Yes, I think you can keep watching this. I one. cannot believe it, but I'm delighted. Because, uh -huh. um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a bad movie. Like, it was a well-put-together movie, and it was a little bit, you know, slow and different. But, yeah, I enjoyed it. Okay. Pacing-wise, it's real talky. It's, it's very It's talky. chatty. Yeah. Oh, my God. We didn't even talk about the super shot. Like the the most memorable one shot in the movie. You know, I think I was gonna say that at the end. So, okay. Do you want? To, should we save it for then? Or okay, I, I thought I don't. Know. I'm assuming we're talking about the same shot. I mean, it can be only. Tell tell me your feelings, Catherine. 
in terms of that we want we keep watching or uh we're just about the scene like the scene okay so the this scene. yeah the scene right, right the scene yeah okay about. so the the thing is right so when i first started watching this the file was not of a superb quality right considering it was so dark um mm-hmm. it was very pixelated and i just couldn't see what was going on so then when you put the better version uh made that available i rewound so that i could watch this again because <laughs> i was like am i seeing this right am i this looks amazing oh my god i'm yeah. so frustrated i can't see it because it's so pixelated and it's what right, these right. things and I, I couldn't there were blobs and i'm like oh that's a person ah yeah. i really want to see this crisp yeah. Um, so then I, I, yeah, so I rewound, I didn't just pick up where he left off just so that I could see the scene for a second time. So yeah, basically it starts off with, um, Faye lighting up and then like the camera just drifts out past her low level through the mm-hmm. streets, like across grasslands or whatever, and between mm-hmm. fences and, into the car park and then down into the it, it's almost like you're perhaps you're an alien like and you're invisible or something ah, and you're kind of seeing the human world from that kind of perspective is kind of what it felt like yeah um and i really love the music that was happening that went along with this and it just it was just great and it kind of went through the game and uh, sort of lingered there a little bit and then kind of out through the back of that and then followed around to um, the radio station, mm-hmm. the little shed <laughs> that was the radio station. Yes, yeah. All in, all in one shot. Yeah, and it was um, amazing. Yeah, I mean, just... I've just never seen anything like it, I guess. Like where No, you know, I don't think so either. At that point, so Faye is, I think, transmitting the signal over to the radio station. So we're following the signal basically. That's that's mm. yeah. So almost like the waveform. Right, like right. Mm. We're traveling with it. And it's so it's just so smooth. And so I guess uh, in my light research, they did this with a go-kart, and it's actually four different shots that were then digitally composited together into one. But like it's seamless. You don't know. I mean, you're going from inside the switchboard room all the way across town through all these other scenes happening to his little radio booth. And it's, it's awesome. It's, if you're going to look at one part of the movie, look at that part. It's just fantastic to see. And again, doing this in a period movie, you don't have any money to spend on it. Like it's awesome. I also think, and then the guys can do their one line reviews. Um, Because we did this, we've done this podcast for a year now listen to you talk about movies and films and I think I appreciated this more because I was able to understand oh they're doing something with how they're positioning the camera and how they're Ah. taking the shot and all of this thing like I think more about that stuff now because of listening to y'all talk about it like all the time that's awesome Uh, (laughs) every week (laughs) so I think because of that I have appreciated this movie more which is why I chose to keep it Wow. So well done, old movie time machine. Look at it. I mean, that's like as sterling a review as we can hope to get from the public. I mean, (laughs) that's amazing. All right. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad we're we're influencing at least one person's life here. Their their perspective is changing. (laughs) Wow. Shocking. But delightful. Still, I would never, I would never give North by Northwest a pass. (laughs) (laughs) Holding strong on the all-time Cold War classic North by Northwest. I love it. Okay, Catherine Sherlock, 2019's The Vast of Night. Do we keep watching this thing? Uh, hell yeah. Uh, I might just go and put it on again now. <laughs> That's oh, so great to hear because yeah. I know how you feel about the Spacey movies. We're in the same mm. boat about that. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad this one went over for you. That, that makes me happy. Yeah, so. no, I, I appreciate knowing about this because I definitely had never heard of it before. So, yes. And I've seen it three or four times. It's very rewatchable. Holds up. It's strong. So, mm-hmm. and it, you know, for the vibe. It's a vibe movie. Carolyn Nowrose, My Sister and Yours. 2019's The Vast of Night. Do we keep watching it, though? Yeah. Okay. You are into it. Yeah, I'm into it. I really enjoyed it. Okay. I'm glad to hear it. Great news. Do you feel like this accurately recreated the time period it was trying to recreate? Yes, I definitely felt like I was uh, fully immersed in that time period. 
naturally. Um, you know, they didn't try too hard. It just, it was all very naturally done. Yeah. Great. Glad to hear it. I totally agree. Uh, this is a, a keeper for me anyway. If what we've just described to you sounds like your type of thing, then it's definitely your type of thing. I mean, they do it. They're successful at what they're trying to do. So uh, I think it's great. Now let's talk about the Boom Room. It is our incredible museum of mid-century life. This is something that we are uh, have been assembling for the past year. Uh, you can check us out on Patreon and find out more about it. It's only two bucks and you can get our first 50 episodes twice the length as the free feed. No commercial interruptions from us. Go check it out. Two bucks. It's not, you know, then you're signed up. Like we're not actively putting out anything on right now, but we will be in the future and you'll be first in line. So just go get caught up on the old stuff. But what we do is we, on our time traveling adventure, we take one artifact each from the film we just watched to bring back and put into our beautiful museum called the Boom Room. Shushman Ike, what would you like to put in the Boom Room for the Vast of Night? I mean, the the tape recorder. Which one? The, His or hers? Her, hers. Okay. The one she The catalog one? The catalog one. Okay. You got it. It's in there. Uh, pretty good summary of the whole film, really. Right. Just tape recorders. Uh, Catherine Sherlock, what would you like to put inside the Boom Room? Um, I was quite taken with the radio antenna. Oh, the antenna. Does that include the call letters? Because there's trivia about that as well. The the what the what now? The uh the big neon letters, like the the station's call letters. Uh, I don't know if it's on the on the tower. Yeah. Let's keep that as let's roll that in. I think that's right. that's only appropriate yeah. because you'll notice that the station's call letters are W O T W. Now, if it was really New Mexico, now Radio stations to the east of the Mississippi River all start with a W, and to the west, they all start with a K. So technically, this should start with a K. However, W-O-T-W is short for War of the Worlds. So you can't not have that. Uh-huh. Right? Okay. So that was going to be my choice, but let's roll it into the antenna, Catherine. Let's just right. do it. Let's seal it up. This thing is beautiful. Yep. Sissy, mm-hmm. what would you like to put into the boom room? I was going to take the reel to reel. Mm, okay. Now, do you want to take his reel to reel, the one that's of professional quality? Yeah. Like okay. his portable one that he's. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. And it's going to have all the alien sounds on that tape anyway. So that's. that's right. You know, for posterity's sake, I want yeah, yeah. We need to have it. Okay. Great. I mean, if these are the choices, then I guess I will choose. Basketball jersey. I was going to take the basketball court. They spent so much time on that court, right? Like, might as well take with it with that old school narrow key in the middle. Uh, no three point line. Why not? Yeah, the basketball court. Let's do that. And that's it. That's a wrap on the vast of night. Now, continuing with our theme, I totally forgot what we decided last week. I was supposed to pick one. Like I was supposed to throw all the names in a. Oh, that's right, in a hat. Yeah. I didn't do it. Okay, well, so. How about we, we you do it you you two do it let us know what it is and then we can we can re- record pre-record that before our next session. Okay. Mm. All right, we'll solve that problem later. No Very problem. Very great problem solving Karen. Exactly. Amazing. But that's a, that's it for this week. So we'll see you next Wednesday when we're talking about far from heaven. And until then, thank you so much uh, incredible international panel of experts. Great job, Shrishma. Great job, Catherine. Great job, Carolyn. Thanks. Uh, You're the best in the biz when it comes to talking about this stuff. And until next time, everybody, please do not forget that this has been Old Movie Time Machine. What up, what up, Shrishaboo? You're the best rapper in the game. For shizzle. That being said, Beyonce is still a more important figure culturally and artistically than Jay-Z. The other Jay-Z... Not the Jay-Z in the studio with you. I realize I might be over-explaining things. However, I'm but a humble robot voice and context has never been my game.